1: Chinese-Americans aren't particularly known for showing affection. When I grew up, my father was particularly proud of not having hugged his children. This changed when my dad started teaching at the public university in my hometown and spending more time with young people besides me. His students were appalled at the absence of affection between father and daughter. So when I came home for the first time from my freshman year of college, I was utterly shocked to be welcomed at the airport with a quick and stiff hug. Byron Oyang's relationship with his dad was like that too. They were never particularly close.
2: Not much communication. I mean, no hugs, no kisses. None of that.
1: This isn't uncommon for Chinese-American families. Many children of the diaspora feel the physical remoteness of our parents. We live far from them. But we also grew up without caresses, embraces, or outspoken declarations of love as a norm. But being with his father's belongings and the things that his father touched during his life helped a son grieve the loss of a parent. What does it mean to live a good life? On the acclaimed podcast No Small Endeavor, Produced by Great Feeling Studios and PRX, theology professor Lee C. Camp explores this question every week, sitting down with courageous and impassioned people from all walks of life, like Hollywood legend Rob Reiner and New York Times bestselling author Gretchen Rubin. Like our show, the podcast covers intimate stories from the past and future, from conversations on cultural Korean beauty standards with TED Talks daily host, Elise Hu, to discussions on how our religious differences should be treasured with Interfaith America founder, Eboo Patel. Together, they'll figure out what it means to find true happiness and how we can all flourish in our day-to-day life. Don't miss out. Follow No Small Endeavor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Hi, I'm Deborah Treisman, fiction editor of The New Yorker and host of The New Yorker Fiction Podcast. On the podcast, I ask a great contemporary writer to select a favorite story from the magazine's almost 100-year archive to read and discuss. Together, we delve into the story, exploring its themes, its style, and what makes fiction work. You can listen to authors like Otessa Moshfegh talk about why we write. Story, or attaching a story or creating a story is this inclination that we all have to stop spinning. And you can hear writers like George Saunders discuss the nature of storytelling. On the first read, you accept these things as descriptions and they make you see the scene. But every line is a chance to inflect the reader's mind. You'll discover new favorite authors and read old favorites in new ways. Episodes of the New Yorker Fiction Podcast are released on the first of every month. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts.
1: This is The Blue Suit, a podcast about the commonplace things that touch our lives and the uncommon people that transform them into something remarkable. I'm Shen Yi Pai. Today, the Chinese dictionary
2: fold books. I usually try and find the center and fold from there.
1: Iron Young folds paper. Iron picked up paper folding from his grandmother. She provided a source of comfort to him whenever he got upset as a kid.
2: Whenever I was, you know, yelling or running away, she would always be the one to come and placate me and be like, you know, understand or or speak through things to try and understand, which was, you know, really amazing if you think about it, because she didn't speak English. um, And I, I barely spoke. I barely spoke Chinese.
1: In his childhood, Byron's grandmother cared for him and kept him company while his father worked long hours. Together, they folded paper offerings.
2: Right. It wasn't like today I'm going to teach you how to fold paper. It was never that, it's like, this is, this is a practice that she's doing. And uh, if I'm curious about it, then I can join her and she'll show me. The things I admire about my grandmother is it was always playful. She was always full of laughter.
1: By spending time with his grandmother, Byron learned about his cultural heritage and the tradition of folding paper. Centuries ago, the Chinese invented paper and have had a very personal relationship with it since. Chinese paper folding revolves around making objects for the dead. That might include objects like gold bars or items of clothing, anything the deceased might crave in the afterlife. These things were sent by burning them. For many second-generation Asian Americans, staying connected to a deeper sense of cultural identity is an ongoing struggle. Immigrant parents, like my own, often choose a path of assimilation for their kids. We became a primarily English-speaking household, and within one generation, the loss of language and culture created an almost unbridgeable divide. On visits back to Taiwan, I have vivid memories of sitting around the kitchen table at my uncle's house. I folded paper with my cousins while having long conversations about family. We folded junk mail and advertising circulars into unlidded paper boxes. We used these boxes to put the fish bones, chicken skins, and inedible an gristle that accumulated at dinner time. But paper wasn't just commonplace. My cousins also folded lotus blossoms to burn on days when we went to the temple.
2: Oftentimes, people are like, "Oh, you're doing origami," and like, "Oh no, I'm doing to It's like, like." Paper folding is as old as paper.
1: Byron didn't practice folding paper with his dad. It just wasn't something they had in common. Byron's parents divorced when he was seven. And one reason he wasn't close to his father was because they didn't live together all the time.
2: So, so my like relationship with him was, was basically only on the weekends and he was working really hard. So he got a real estate license in Seattle. Although what's interesting is every weekend we would be in a different place because he didn't have a permanent home. So my mom kept the home. You know, we were either at a, a friend's place or house sitting or an empty apartment that was being sold. Or, um, you know, I, I remember like, I didn't know that this was unusual.
1: But one of the ways the father and son did connect was through music. Byron is a composer, and his experimental compositions have sometimes drawn upon the Chinese language to express the ideas at play in his work. The Chinese titles for his compositions always came through his father.
2: You know, I I would say, I'm working on this musical work, Um, do you have ideas for a Chinese title? And he would think for a moment, um, and then he would, you know, be, be recalling certain stories. Uh, And then he would consult this Chinese English Dictionary to find the the right characters.
1: Byron knew that whenever his dad wanted to consult the Chinese English Dictionary on his behalf, that he turned to this specific green and white reference book that he always kept close at hand. Byron knew that as the eldest child in his family, he had to come home last summer.
2: So my father decided not to continue with um, chemotherapy. Uh, And so uh, the doctor said, well, you know, it'll be six months or less to live. And so once I finished spring semester teaching, I I came here to, to be with him.
1: When he arrived in Seattle at his brother Nikolai's house, he knew this would likely be his last opportunity to be with his father.
2: My immediate experience of, of walking into Nikolai's place was, you know, my dad was sitting there, um, and yeah, almost as if waiting. Um, and and it, it felt it felt it felt pretty lonely actually.
1: Byron helped care for his father until his death. As he spent more time with his dad, he realized he had many questions about his life, and so to learn more about him. He turned to his belongings.
2: Oh, this is just a, a thing of maps. <laughs> oh. I have no idea who's this. I asked my brother. He thinks it might be my stepmom's. To me, you know, when I found this, it's missing its cover, right? And then it has a bunch of like uh, children's scribbles on the back because it was an empty page. And you know.
1: it feels like these different books. They reflect parts of his identity, you know, as an immigrant.
2: Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of it is is piecing it together, too, Um, especially for someone who didn't tell uh, stories. He he wasn't a storyteller. So, um, my dad came with one suitcase uh, and I always think of him as a minimalist. Um, And yet, there's all this stuff.
1: His father kept old business ledgers, textbooks from his high school and college days, and newspaper clippings.
2: I remember finding a pile of stuff and it was like coupons um, and articles um, and, you know, sometimes annotations of like, you know, an article for one of my brothers, um, like, oh, this may be of interest. And I, I think maybe that's something I know I do. So I, you know, I think maybe my dad would Oh, I, I'm thinking of this person when I see this article. And so, so there was a collection of these random papers also, you know, that had that, that he never had a chance to give, give to us.
1: Among his father's belongings was a 50-year-old calculus textbook inscribed with the name of a dear childhood friend, Kaisutsu, who had died before him. Byron found a list of song titles written in his father's handwriting. The neat handwritten script was too beautiful to throw away. As Byron examined the meaning in his father's papers and personal effects, he began to fold again, like he had once learned from his grandmother. Physically, it became a way to be with his grief through folding his father's
2: belongings. Ah, Okay, Okay. so I'll do this. I'll do this, and then I'll fold it like this. Right, so this pops out. And I find the paper folding, because it's meditative, it allows me to be with the memories of him um, in, in this, you know, this, yeah, th- th- this repetition um, that actually calms me.
1: He opens one of his father's hardcover books to a random spread and folds over a page in half.
2: There are basic folds like triangles right in, in rectangles.
1: As he continues touching the pages, he bends the paper into circular shapes. Fragments of language peek through the creases, becoming their own graphic elements, reconfigured into new meanings. The paper still glued to the spine of a book erupt into architectural forms, as unforgettable as Frank Gehry models.
2: Basically, it's, it's figuring out Um, And if you want to fold too, you can grab a book or something.
1: (laughs) Byron didn't transform all of his father's papers. He turned away from folding documents related to his father's ties to an investment club. These papers felt predatory in their exploitation of immigrant dreams.
2: Yeah, I, I tore them up and recycled them.
1: But Byron did fold his father's financial magazines.
2: I mean, the magazines I ended up folding because I'm like, you know, yeah, the content of of like Money Magazine is questionable to me, but actually they're shiny and they are colorful because they can afford to be colorful magazines. Um, and when they get folded, they they totally transform. So I, I I always try and do minimal folds and then I try and find like a secret fold or a magical fold, Like call it a magical fold.
1: Magical folds take things to a whole other level.
2: Okay, can I, can I twist the paper in a way that all of a sudden gives it this spark that's like, whoa, how, how did that, right? And so it's not an ordinary fold anymore. It, it, it actually manifests into something more special.
1: For Byron, paper folding is not just about making shapes that take on sculptural dimensions. The material itself is important. It has to have had a life actually been used by someone and discarded for him to fold it.
2: I, I won't fold pristine paper. If it hasn't, you know, if it hasn't been touched, written on, printed on, then yeah, I'm, I'm not. So, you know, like origami paper packs, no, nope, won't fold those.
1: Byron's objects aren't just visual curiosities, they are intimate records of objects that his father touched. Byron held onto these materials because they were part of his father's lived experiences. His father handled his textbooks. He dog-eared the pages of business magazines. He touched these materials over and over again. At the end of someone's life, touch almost reverts to a function of caregiving. We lift a body in and out of a wheelchair, sponge bathe the skin clean lend an arm to support someone more frail as they make their way across a room upon byron's return to seattle to be with his dying father he was welcomed with a handshake a particularly long one
2: i think that's why i was so surprised when i when i returned home and he held my hand for like longer than usual and, and kept like shaking it and telling me how how, um, how happy he was that, that I was back home. <laughs> like, his saying, I, I miss you, I'm glad you're back, is, like, that's this far. That was him saying, I love you. He, he's never said, I love you.
1: Byron hasn't yet touched his father's Chinese-English dictionary. That green and white one, his father always reached for whenever he wanted to find a certain phrase to share with his firstborn child. It had so much meaning for Byron that this book was the only personal object of his father's that he wanted to keep for himself. Byron will make something beautiful out of it when there's nothing left to fold. Check out our show notes to see photos of Byron and links to his work. Next week's object is a caliphone. The Blue Suit is produced by K.O.W. in Seattle. Our host, writer, and creator is me, Shin-Yi Pai. Caroline Chamberlain Gomez produced this episode. Special thanks to Matt Martin. Jim Gates is our editor. Tomo Nakayama wrote our theme music. Additional music was provided by Byron Ouyang. Our production team includes Michaela Giannotti, Tio Popescu, Hans Twight, Melissa Takai, and Brendan Sweeney. Special thanks to the Windrose Fund for their financial support. If you like this podcast, KUW has a lot more great audio for you. Search KUW in your podcast app and see what piques your interest. Thanks for listening.